0: Social Impact CX, the podcast that helps you drive mission and make a difference with customer experience.
1: Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining me for the Social Impact CX podcast. I'm John Corrigan, and I'll be your guide to how you can drive mission and achieve social impact with customer experience work. This is episode 25 of Social Impact CX. And as always, thank you for listening. This episode is very exciting, I must say. I had the chance to meet author Anne May Chang a few months ago when she moderated a Shark Tank session at the Feedback Summit put on by Feedback Labs in Washington, D.C. I was presenting my startup journey map as part of the Shark Tank session, and Anne May was not only the moderator, but she was about to publish her book, Lean Impact, which is out now, and it's a fantastic book, and we'll be talking more about that in our conversation. However, before we get to my discussion with Ann May, I always start each episode of Social Impact CX with something that I'm grateful for, and I thought it only appropriate that I'd like to express gratitude for the book The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. There's a whole movement around Lean Startup, and if you've not read the book, I suggest you check it out, if, um, even if you're not working in a startup, because there's lots of great stuff in there for bigger organizations as well. Over my career, I've worked in bigger tech companies and medium-sized tech companies and startups and a major nonprofit organization. Uh, some of the best takeaway experiences I've had in my career center around uh, things like inputs from real customers and innovation and making progress in a changing environment and how to validate learnings. And when I read The Lean Startup, so many of these topics and themes came forward. I thought that the way Eric Rees put together his thoughts on all those subjects and, and many more, uh, it, it really made a lot of sense to me. And then while talking to Ann May Chang, I discovered that she and Eric Rees are former colleagues they met while working together. And Ann May these days is also doing some work with Eric's team. So I thought it appropriate to give some gratitude for The Lean Startup before uh, the first part of my conversation here with Ann May about her book, Lean Impact. So let's get to it. Episode 25 is the first half of my conversation with Ann May. We had a great conversation and there will be a second part of our discussion coming soon here on Social Impact CX. For those of you who happen to be attending South by Southwest in Austin here in March of 2019, you should know that Ann May is presenting a session on March 9th. It's called Lean Impact for Radically Greater Social Good. And if you have the chance, I hope you check it out. Her book, Lean Impact, can be found on Amazon for purchase. And she also has a website, www.anmei.com. That's A N N M E I.com. I think after her session in Austin at South by Southwest, she'll be signing her books as well. So I hope you enjoy the first part of my conversation with Ann May Chang.
0: I'm very pleased to welcome Ann May Chang to the Social Impact CX podcast. Anne May is an author and innovation expert and also a veteran of Silicon Valley. She recently published the book Lean Impact that is focused on how to innovate for a radically greater social good. Uh, I know you can find Lean Impact on Amazon if you're interested in ordering a copy. And for fans of the Lean movement, there is also a foreword by Eric Reese of the Lean Startup fame. Previously, Anne May has served as the Chief Innovation Officer of USAID where her work literally took her around the world. And in addition to her recent adventures as an author, I believe she's been doing some work with Eric Reese and the Lean Startup team as well. And hopefully she'll share some of that with us. Earlier in her career, during her time in Silicon Valley, Anne May worked at technology leaders such as Google, Apple, and Intuit. I'll stop talking here pretty soon and let Anne May say hello. It would be great, Anne May, if you could tell us A bit more about your background and the various roles you've held. I think listeners would uh, be especially interested in hearing you describe your work with USAID, and also it would probably be good for you to explain what USAID does and then what was the role of your innovation work when you were there.
2: Sure, absolutely, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, Just briefly, I studied as a software engineer in, in college and spent the next 23 years working in Silicon Valley in the tech industry at a number of both big and small companies. Um, but then about seven years ago, I made a long planned shift in my career to spend the second half of my career in the public and social sector, if you will, looking for ways to make the world a better place. Um, and I ended up deciding to focus on global poverty um, as the area um, where I'm where which i felt like was you know at the at the root of so many of the things i cared about Mm -hmm. um and that landed me at usaid a few years back as the chief innovation officer there and and it was you know a dream job in many ways i was uh, the first executive director of a new bureau called the u.s global development lab that was set up by our administrator at the time raj shah with the eye towards Um, that the the global development challenges that we have out there are incredibly complex and we're just not making enough of a dent on them. And so he wanted to see how we could bring modern tools and approaches to the practice of global development, including in the realms of science, technology, innovation and partnerships. And so the lab was set up with this. A fantastic two-part mission. One was to identify breakthrough innovations that could really move the needle, and the other was to transform the way that we go about doing development itself. And a lot of that was bringing approaches that were very much in line with the uh, lean startup movement.
0: Interesting. Uh, it is very interesting how you took um, some of those practices for, that are, are becoming so prevalent in Silicon Valley, such as uh, the lean startup movement, and applied them to your uh, your global aid efforts there. Um so so I'm very excited to have this conversation and to get into uh your book here. For for our listeners, I'll share. Um, I had a chance to meet and may for the first time last fall uh when uh, there was an event called the Feedback Summit put on by a great organization called Feedback <laughs> Labs. Uh and Anne May was uh you were the uh, the the moderator of the Shark Tank session. Is that the correct descriptor? Sure. Yeah, and so a couple of startups, and I have a startup called Journey Map, which is a social uh, enterprise. It's focused on bringing customer experience abilities <laughs> to nonprofit and social impact, uh, affordable insights so you can help more people. And I had a chance to uh, uh, present Journey Map at the at the Shark Tank session, and, and I arrived. In Washington DC, at the event, ready to go with my slides, and then uh, I learned that MA was hoping we could present our materials, each of the companies, in uh, into the into three info categories of value, growth, and impact. And so I spent a little time that evening. Um, I, I didn't have to completely restructure my slides. I, I had to reorganize how to put the information in that format, which was really kind of an interesting aspect. And then. I noticed that really value, growth, and impact are all about part two. Uh, So for those of you who order a copy of of, uh, Anne May's book, uh, you'll, you'll see what that's all about. I was wondering, though, it was such an interesting experience. Could you spend a couple minutes talking about the importance of value, growth, and impact and presenting information in that format?
2: Yeah. So when I went um, in the process of writing the book, I interviewed over 200 different organizations, um, both big and small nonprofits and for profits, funders and implementers uh, across different sectors and really looked for what were the key elements that were behind those that were the most successful. And what I found was that there are these three dimensions that are required for a successful social enterprise, value, growth, and impact. And all too often, organizations tend to be very good at one or two of them, but rarely all three. Um, and so I th- think it's a balance of the three need to come together in order for us to maximize the impact we can deliver. Um, and, and just to briefly touch on what each of them are, value is the basic question of, is this something that people want and not only want, but will demand and come back for and tell their friends about. And and that applies both to your beneficiaries as well as the other stakeholders and partners that you really need to deeply engage in order for your solution to be successful. Um, The second is growth, that um, how are you going to drive, um, to accelerate growth over time so that it can really reach the scope of the people who could benefit from um, whatever you have to offer. Um, And this is a particular challenge in the social sector, which a lot of times is very grant driven. um, And there's often just not enough grant money to be able to fund the growth to anywhere approaching the scope of the need. And so what are other drivers, whether um, through government or through um, some private sector business model that can drive and accelerate growth over time?
0: I thought that was great to introduce that that growth aspect because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, in the in the more standard for-profit startup world, you you can't present a business concept without growth as an underpinning. It, it the idea is different, yet it needs to translate into the world of nonprofit or social impact, or whatever. I thought that was great to see that.
2: Yeah, thank you. And and value and growth are very much similar to the for-profit world. Eric talks about in his in his, his book, The Lean Startup, about the value hypothesis and the growth hypothesis. Is the two key hypotheses to test for a product or service. Um, but when we're talking about social good, value and growth in themselves are not sufficient. It's not enough that people want it and that um, you have some way to get it to a lot of people. It has to have social impact, and that's really the third hypothesis that I add in the Lean Impact book, which is to say, um, the simple question of does it work? Does this actually deliver the social benefit that we aim to that we're, we're aiming for? Um, and a lot of times, um, surprisingly organizations are not necessarily sure of that answer, that um, something may sound good, it may feel good, but we're not necessarily always sure that it, it's delivering the social benefit in the long run. And so that's a, a the third dimension that I think is also really important to ask. And so, you know, in the, the Shark Tank that we participated in together, we structured around these questions of value growth and impact, asking each of the enterprises, including yours, to say how, you know, well, how are we doing on each of these dimensions? What, are, um, what do we believe we're delivering and what are the risks around each of these that we need to really pay attention to?
0: Yeah, that was, that was interesting. And I, I think the whole subject of impact is a whole other dimension when you're measuring something other than just financial returns. And that's certainly a broader subject that is talked about a lot in the world of social enterprise, social impact. Um, and that's an ongoing conversation and I was glad to see that there as well, too. So tell me about writing Lean Impact. I, I certainly enjoyed reading the book and uh, uh, sharing your, your stories there. Where did the idea come from for Lean Impact? And, and for listeners that haven't yet read the book, uh, what do you think are the most important takeaway messages? So, so who's it written for? And then uh, for the people who uh, pick up a copy of Lean Impact, what are the couple, three key highlights that you really hope that they take away?
2: Sure. So when I was winding down my time at USAID and trying to decide what to do next, um, one of the questions I was asking is, how do I take this forward? How do I take some of the work we've been doing at the lab at USAID? um which you know i was incredibly excited about and saw so much potential behind and bring it to a wider audience and as during my time at usaid as i was looking at some of the challenges we faced in order to drive a much more innovative culture at a very conservative and established institution, um, I kept coming back to the lean startup and a lot of the principles behind the lean startup was some of the key pieces that we were missing, but recognizing that was a lot harder to do in the context that we were working in. And so when I was thinking about what to do next, the idea occurred to me of, hey, what we really need is a way to take these concepts for innovation that have been incredibly successful in driving uh, an accelerated pace of progress in Silicon Valley, and look at how can we adapt them to make them work in the realm of social good. And that's really what Lean Impact is about, is to say, you know, for any any person or organization, whether you're a nonprofit, a philanthropist, a foundation, a triple bottom line company, an impact investor, social enterprise, that if you have a primary aim of delivering social good, then how do you take these tools of innovation that have helped us drive profits and helped us drive companies to succeed, to help us drive greater impact? Um, and so that's really what the book is about. And um, the, the book is structured around three principles that I think are at the essence of what it means to be lean in the, in the uh, social good space. Um, and the three are one, to, to think big, two, to start small, and three, to relentlessly seek impact. And all too often what I saw kind of making my transition into the social sector is that we tend to instead Think too small; that we tend to plan within constraints that we have rather than plan with uh, for the needs that exist in the world. Mm-hmm. That we tend to start too big; that we get a grant or some award and we feel there's a, you know, people are suffering today, so we, you know, try to deliver as much as we can as fast as we can, and often don't take the time to really experiment and find the best path forward. Um, and there's so many things that can, um, so many pressures in the the way the the sector works that can really divert us from the path of greatest impact and so when we can think big and start small and really stay focused on the impact i think we can dramatically magnify the overall impact we can have
0: very interesting and and you touched on culture uh the beginning of your comments there here and uh i was wondering what what work did you guys do at USAID in forming an innovation team or an innovation initiative uh, with culture, and 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 was that part of addressing the the think big, start small um, aspect of that?
2: Yeah, culture is, is is certainly one of the many challenges uh, in innovating in the in for social good, and and I would say that it it it's it's one element, but but it often culture. I believe that culture forms um, as in reaction to the incentives that exist. And so the reason that um, I think cult- the culture in most social sector organizations tends to be more risk adverse, tends to be more of a planning culture rather than an iterative culture um, or nimble culture um, is because of the incentives that exist. And, and those incentives are often that you work um, by... Right running programs or receiving grants that are, tend to be planned well in advance um, with funders that are often uh, very shy of taking risk and very averse to any potential failure. And so people naturally, um, based on those incentives, form a culture that is a very planning-oriented culture, that is a fairly risk-averse culture, that is good at Um, predictable execution to deliver on exactly what they said they're going to. Now that makes a lot of sense when you're talking about um, when you have a solution that you know will work and you know can scale for the problem you're trying to solve. But the reality is in the social sector most of the things that we're doing don't fall in that category. In most areas what I found is that we have solutions that are either not good enough or are not reaching enough people or both. And so where there's that kind of uncertainty, then I think innovation becomes much more important uh, where we need to experiment, where we need to take risks, where we need to think outside the box and do something different because we don't have a solution that's good enough yet. Um, and in order to do so, we need to shift the culture uh, to you know, to, to be much more nimble, to be able to take more risk, to be much more adaptive. Right. And I believe that that starts with that thinking big, the audacious goal, um, that uh, too often we're planning within the constraints of the resources we have. We look at, you know, we have this this many dollars, we have this many staff people, we have this grant opportunity that's the size and scope, and we think within these constraints, what can we do? Um, and usually we can do some good, but often it's far from enough to really move the needle. And so <clears throat> instead, I think that, if we start with an audacious goal, where we really step back and think, what's required? What does success look like? Um, That sets the stage for us to then hold up whatever we do relative to that benchmark of what's really required and forces us to stretch ourselves, to search for better ideas, to take some risks in order to get there. And and, And I think that that simple shift is something that can really drive cultural change over time. That if what well, you're paying attention to week after week is that audacious goal, <clears throat> then the conversation really shifts versus if what you're paying attention week after week is how do we you know, become reach 10% more people or raise 10% more dollars relative to, to what we did last year.
0: Uh, well, I'm so glad that you touched on audacious goals. That was one of the areas I really wanted to talk about. And I, I think it's it great that you included that that i think especially in a process oriented culture that, that something like uh, the ideas of audacious goals don't uh, they don't come forward enough and so how do you introduce the idea of audacious goals uh as as a way of thinking things uh, of things in a slightly different context or actually that might or, or of a really different context
2: yeah, well, so this is where I work with lots of different nonprofit organizations and foundations and um, social enterprises. And I really encourage them that if, if they want to drive innovation, that they need to start with setting that audacious goal. And part of it is looking on a longer term horizon, right? Looking at where do we want to get to in 10 or 20 years? What does success really look like? and then finding metrics that help you measure along the way whether you're making progress. So uh, the first question I ask organizations when they say, hey, we want to innovate, we want to shift the culture, is to say, can you achieve your current goals with business as usual? The answer is often yes, that the goals that organizations set are generally things that they've projected from what they've done before to see, hey, this is what we think we can do if we push ourselves a little bit but don't require the, the, but they generally can see the path there. And if that's true, of course, there's no reason to take risks. There's no reason to potentially fail when doing largely what you've done before and just slightly better will will get you there. So I think that shift of having a goal that isn't achievable with business as usual, you have no idea how you're going to get there, but you keep Attention on that goal, and you really look at the core metrics that you think are required to to move in that direction. What are the key drivers that will get you to um, that goal? Whether it's dramatically reducing your costs or dramatically increasing your impact, that's something that then shifts the mindset. And it might help for me to give an example here. So there's a nonprofit in San Francisco called Earn that is a microsavings provider. And so they uh, work with low-income Americans to help them develop a habit of savings. Now, after about 10 years, Earn was at the top of their field with 7,000 microsavings accounts, and they were getting awards and recognition from across the industry. And yet one day, um, the, the founder of Earn, Ben Mangan, woke up and he thought, you know, we're doing really well. And yet, there are 50 to 70 million people who could really benefit from what we're doing here. And we're only reaching 7,000, so we're barely scratching the surface. Um, so even though that they were getting all this recognition, um, he, was, he recognized that they weren't moving the needle enough. And so that night at an awards dinner, he stood up and he made this pronouncement that in five years, Earn was going to aim to, to reach a million people. Now, that was quite a leap from the 7,000 they'd gotten to in their first 10 years of existence. But by setting that goal of we're going to get to a million people in five years, it forced the whole organization to take note and to say, hey, we're not going to get there on the current trajectory we're on. We need to do something different. And so they realized that things like um, in-person visits to each of their clients, a financial match in the savings account were just not going to be realistic tools if they were going to get to that million number. And they needed to reduce their costs significantly and really think about how they're going to approach the problem differently. They ended up, in this case, building an online platform to reach um, to reach their beneficiaries. And, and after building the platform and deploying it, in the first year of their rollout, they reached 85,000 uh, people, over 10 times as many in their first 10 years put together. And, um, and are now on a very different trajectory. And it was all started with that audacious goal to say, hey, you know, we're going to try to get to a million, we have no idea how to get there. But it's it forced the entire organization to rethink how they're approaching their business.
0: So, you know, and my background is technology also. <laughs> um, so in the technology world, I think there's a lot of organizations that uh, kind of take it upon themselves to rip things apart and come up with a new goal um, uh, on, on a fairly regular basis, every 12, 18, 24 months. Uh, and that may be too broad of a generalization, but I think it, it happens in very dynamic and fast-moving markets. In in more mature markets, how do you think that happens? Um, is it, like in your example, is it a CEO who stops and says, we need to think bigger? Or what do you think that process is in, social impact uh, orga- organizations?
2: You know, I think it can come from multiple levels. It can be the CEO or the leadership team that dis- or the board that sets an audacious goal. It can also be at a team level. It doesn't need to be at the entire organizational level. It can be a team setting an audacious goal for what they do. Um, you know, I, I always encourage my teams to ask for whatever program they were running at USAID to say, how can you get to 10X? Um, Because if I ask them how they can get 10 or 20% better, they're just going to come back and ask me for more money. But if I say, how are you going to get to 10x? I don't have enough budget to give them money to do that. They have to think differently about how they're going to leverage other partners, how they're going to leverage other parts of the agency, and so forth to get there. Um, And so uh, I think that's a helpful metric is to say at whatever level of the organization you're at, whatever your current goal is, Ask yourself how you're going to get to 10x. And maybe it's going to take 10 or 20 years to get there. But it may force you to take a completely different view of how to go about the, that problem. Um, and, and it doesn't always have to involve technology. I think a lot of times people conflate innovation with technology. Another example I give in the book is about an organization called Vision Spring that decided to focus on a 700 year old invention that has been proven to improve productivity and learning potential. And that's eyeglasses, something that's been around for a long time, not not a high tech thing at all. And yet despite it being a 700 year old invention, their estimates are that two and a half billion people around the world need eyeglasses and don't have them. And so, you know, for for them, they set out with this very audacious goal, two and a half billion people. And they started out kind of hiring their own vision entrepreneurs who went out and did outreach in in rural areas to provide vision care and came back with these compelling stories of um, people who weren't able to work, being able to work again, kids who could learn. And most nonprofits would be thrilled by that. And yet they recognized that they were losing money with every person they reached and they could never get to scale that way. And so their first pivot is that they decided to partner. They um, uh, sorry, their first pivot was that they decided to set up these vision centers in more urban areas to serve a more affluent population and then use the profits from that to cross-subsidize their outreach to more rural areas. And so through that, they were able to become financially self-sustainable. but they all—they still realized they weren't going to be able to scale fast enough that way. Because even though they were financially self-sustainable, in order to build the infrastructure to reach everyone around the world, it would take decades, if not centuries. And so they then they decided on their next pivot to partner. Um, and so they partnered with an organization called BRAC in Bangladesh that had community healthcare workers in every corner of the country. And through the partnership, provided vision care, and were able to have been able to reach. Over a, a million people now with through that partnership and over four and a half million people through additional partnerships. <clears throat> and so now they're starting to scale, but yet four and a half million people is still a tiny fraction of two and a half billion people. And so their most recent pivot was that they set up something called the Alliance Um, recognizing that this is a systems problem that no one organization was going to be able to address and that there were both market failures and policy failures, so they brought together I-class manufacturers and local governments and nonprofits to work on these systems questions. And the example of an early success is that they signed an MOU with the government of Liberia to pro- provide, to integrate vision services into their public health system and their public school system. And so you can imagine that as they start looking at this as a systems challenge that they, are going to be on more and more of a trajectory to get to that two and a half billion. And again, this has nothing to do with a technology platform, but it's, it is again, looking at that audacious goal as a North star and continually, you know, relentlessly seeking that, um, that to reach that goal and finding the ways that are necessary to get there.
0: I, I think you've made some excellent points. Um, and here, it, when I, When I talk at Social Impact CX about how you use customer experience concepts that typically have come from the for-profit big business world, how do you use those to help more people? Maybe you're not even using the word customer. You say beneficiary or member or client. Um, The the themes of partnering come up over and over again in terms of how how do you scale and to get to that greater impact. But I think another fantastic point that you made there too is the concept of stepping back and asking, how do you get to 10x? And one of the most important things you said was that that, that does not have to come from a CEO or a board member that, you know, team members uh, can step back and uh, understanding the opportunity that, that's there to, to help, to try and do something for people who, who need assistance or, or whatever it is, asking the question, how do we get to 10x? And then that's, I think that's cultural change there as well too whether whether it's coming from leadership whether it's coming from other team members uh addressing how do you get to 10x and making that part of your culture uh part of your team discussion is a real that's a real cultural change so i was very glad to hear you touch on that
1: this has been social impact cx podcast episode 25 which is the first half of my conversation with lean impact author and may chang as I've said before, Social Impact CX is also intended to be an interactive forum, a place to stir conversation, answer questions, provide some context and definitions, hopefully achieve a better understanding of customer experience and social impact work and how you can use CX to, to help more people. What questions do you have after listening to my conversation with Anne May? Uh, questions about lean or social impact or anything else that came to mind as we were talking? I previously mentioned that Ann May has a website, uh, annmay.com, A-N-N-M-E-I.com. Uh, you can find her there. You can also ask a question and make a comment here at Social Impact CX. a couple different ways. First, you can send an email to comment at socialimpactcx.com. That's C-O-M-M-E-N-T at socialimpactcx.com. You can also find us on Twitter and post a question there. Our Twitter handle is Social CX. And please follow us on Twitter to stay up to date with new podcasts and other related content. You can also find me on Twitter at the handle John F. Corrigan. Or if you're listening to this podcast via YouTube, feel free to post a question in the comment section there or on SoundCloud. And we'll do our best to catch you there. And uh, if you're at the YouTube or SoundCloud uh, channel online, please subscribe uh, to keep up to date with new episodes. This is John Corrigan reminding you that, especially in social impact work, it's important to understand that your mission is really all about someone else's journey. And the more you know about someone's journey, the more you can help. Thanks for listening to Social Impact CX.